1: a song. What a song. Happy Monday, everybody. Thank you for tuning into the Rory Stoddard Show. I'm Rory Stoddard, your host. It is great to be back with all of you. I have missed you all. This is my first internet radio show of 2020. Uh, we've been off for a couple weeks. As everybody knows, I did my weekend show on Saturday, uh, KFNX. Uh, many, many tuned in, loved it, got a lot of great feedback, but, uh, yeah, guys, it feels great, uh, to be back. I mean, this is, this is a blessing. I have missed you all. We got a lot of big plans for 2020, a lot in the works, a lot on the agenda. Uh, I can't wait to share it all with you. I have a lot of announcements coming, been working and working and working and producing a lot of different new, new, uh, features that are going to be applied, uh, to, uh, this show and, and, you know, different things, you know, uh, we, we want to keep evolving. We want to keep growing this platform and we want to keep, you know, getting it out there, you know, because we're really shining light. We're really speaking amazing voices and it's putting things into perspective perfectly. I mean, there, there's always wonderful and absolutely terrific talking points on this show. And, and it the way we resonate is magical. You know, it's like, and we never run out of things to talk about. There's always things um, on the list. There really is. Uh, As usual, though, guys, um, I really want to say I hope you all had an amazing Christmas, amazing New Year. I hope the holidays went accordingly. I hope they were productive. I hope they were fun. Uh, I want to thank all my guests, my co-hosts, my sponsors and audience. You guys are what makes the show so, so uh, successful and important. Um... Big, big plans tonight. A lot of headline news these last couple weeks. A lot to get caught up on. Um, I I do have uh, a lot of big guests coming on. We have a lot of people on the panel right now that I'm about to introduce. Uh, I'm just thinking if I'm missing anything. Was there anything else I wanted to um, mention? Uh, Yeah, but but guys, you know. Just anyway, I just can't believe here we are, 231 episodes it's 2020. It's amazing how time flies. We've been doing this over two years and, uh, in 25 different countries on nearly 70 online platforms. I mean, it's, it's really, really a blessing. So it's a wonderful thing to watch and, uh, you know, ride with It's, it's a, it's a beautiful, uh, coaster uh, situation. I, I love it. I love it. I love it. And just, you know, every second I'm trying not to take for granted. It's, um, you know, not everybody ha- has this kind of gift and talent. And um, you know, I just uh, <laughs> thank God, thank God that uh, you know I was born with this in my in my routine and, and being a part of my my livelihood. You know, um, it's awesome. All right, all right. Let's uh, let's welcome the show. We have U.S. Oh, I also do want to say real quick, guys. Um, this is a big announcement, and I do have to say this. So this week I will only be doing. One show definitely today, and 90% sure I'll be doing a show Thursday. I'm just going to be traveling to Seattle tomorrow. Uh, My grandfather passed away, so I got to go to the funeral, got to spend the week with the family. Uh, So I I don't know what what my schedule, how that's going to play out, but I'm 90% sure uh, I'll be doing a show Thursday as well, but not tomorrow. You know, I usually do shows tomorrow on Tuesdays, but no, I'll be on the road. So, Uh, all right, I want to welcome the show. We have U.S. congressional candidate from Maryland.
2: Uh, Tim Faison-Baker, how are you, buddy? Hey, Rory, I'm doing well. I'm sorry to hear about uh, your grandfather. Um, I am looking forward to 2020. This is going to be the year of the American, and I am excited to hear your topics tonight. We are going to have a great show.
1: Absolutely, Tim. Always a pleasure having you here. Thank you, sir. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's also welcome to the show. I believe he's with us. Uh, I don't know if he's made a decision yet. I'm pretty sure he has, or, or maybe not. About running for U.S. Congress mm. in Tennessee, my good friend Todd McKenley. How are you, buddy?
0: Hey, not
3: bad, Rory. Uh, sorry to hear about your grandfather. Uh, you know, I know that's tough. I can tell you that. But uh, you know, not not uh, official yet. But but I can tell you that the current congressman has decided, as of Friday morning, that he will not run. And of course, we have a, a field that looks like it could get crowded. I don't know. People are playing chess right now. Uh, but we're we're looking pretty good. Uh, we got a few more things to uh, tease and eyes to cross and dot and all that good stuff uh, before we move ahead on that. Um, you know, I, I would I'm strongly considering it. Obviously, you know that. Um, but a few things have to have to happen uh, over the next couple of days, a couple of weeks uh, before I can, yeah. before I can make a move. As you know, you know I do a lot of advance work for the White House, and I, I can't announce anything while I still do that. So. Uh, couple things still have to happen uh yeah, but we're moving forward and uh you know once we make an announcement of what 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 whatever we're going to do it's going to be a, a great announcement and uh you know uh, we'll move forward from there and 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 do what we have to do for the people of northeast tennessee in whatever capacity i continue to serve uh my country absolutely and what what so
1: let me ask you this what percentage you know are are you at this point about running like what would you give it a 90% sure
3: uh yeah you know, well i have I've been saying ninety nine point nine percent you know I would say uh you know use that to infinity or you know uh continue that out as far as you can go you know until your hand gets tired I'll be honest with you uh you know this is something I've been wanting to do for many many years, uh especially since I was served at the white house uh White House military office back in uh i think i I got there December two thousand and two and I believe it was approaching the two thousand four campaign time time frame uh the reelection for President Bush and Vice president Cheney. Whenever I decided, you know what, this is something I really want to do, uh, and I was looking at all the people who, you know, were serving in office, whether it be the, the House or the Senate, people that we dealt with across the country, mm-hmm. and you know, and I right. just started looking at these people's the bios and of course the way they operate and of course how they are personally, and I'm thinking, what what makes these people special? You know what I'm saying? What makes these people special? And, and I saw how, how Washington was a mess. Uh, and I thought to myself, you know what? Uh, whenever I retire from the military, you know, with the background I will have and experience and then, of course, the education, uh, you know, I, I would have no problem going back home and continuing to serve the country, uh, you know, in elective office. And it's just something I've been focusing on for many years. And, of course, you know, being in the military, uh, you know, takes you away from home, uh, which you know creates a situation where you, you can't have your name recognition in your district, which, which sets you back. Uh, and at the same time, you don't make a lot of money in the military, which kind of hinders you as well. Uh, but you know, we're we're going to make some strides, and hopefully, people will come out and, and if, if whenever we decide and will endorse it, donate money to the campaign. Uh, and right now, you know, we've been we've been raising some money during a um, an exploratory phase. Uh, but since Congressman Roe decided to drag his feet for a few months, we we pushed back from that, and I focused on a few other things. And of course. Um, you know, now that he's announced uh, he's going to retire, we're, we're going to go back to try to raise some cash over the next couple of months, uh, and, and see where we're at. If people want to donate, they can go to my website toddforhouse.com, t o d d number four h o u s e.com. Uh, there's a donate button on there, uh, and you know, we'll, we'll we'll go from there. And uh, like I said, probably end of January, early February, we'll we'll know uh, for certain where we're at, and and the announcement will come out uh, regardless of what we're going to do.
1: Sounds good, my friend. Well, I'm looking forward to it. We need people like you in there.
3: Okay, thank you, sir. Appreciate it.
1: Absolutely. Um, let's also welcome to the show. I believe he's with us. We have retired police chief and homicide detective Michael Valsey. Michael, how are you? Welcome.
4: Doing great, Roy. Uh, my condolences as well, and uh, happy New Year to you and a very successful one at that. Um, Looks like you're heading on the right track here. Well, thanks for having me tonight. I'm looking forward to a great show.
1: Absolutely. Great to have you here, sir. Uh, Let's also welcome to the show. I believe he's with us on the panel. Uh, Haven't talked to him in a while.
5: Mike Peters from New York. Mike, glad you could join us.
6: Yeah, great to be
5: here again. I'm looking uh, looking forward to a good show tonight. And congratulations, it looks like, on your new home.
1: Hey, thanks, buddy. Appreciate it. Appreciate. It. Well, no, no, it's not new. I, I'm, I'm, I've been looking at different investment properties, but the house I live in now that I posted the other day, I've had, we've had that for a while.
5: Oh, okay. I thought you just bought something out there. All right. All right. No, I, I, I was. Well, thing...
1: I still, I got my house. The house you saw, the not, the really cool one, that's in Arizona where I live now. But I was looking at houses right. in Palm Springs. I was looking at investment properties because it's a great place to. Get a return on on various things. So no, yeah, but no, I didn't purchase anything in Palm Springs. Uh,
5: well, I, I know one thing: you won't be headed to New York anytime soon. I mean, very few people are. Well, dude, Isn't I like.
1: So, I'll tell you what: some of the stuff in upstate New York, I, I like some of those properties. I, I, you know, I there's a you can get a lot for your money up there.
5: There's some beautiful property, but it, unfortunately, it's the uh, the zombie apocalypse is walking the streets, so it makes it very interesting at night. So and tax time, of course. But anyways, right. uh, no, all the best, and looking forward to a great show tonight, Rory. Thanks for having me on. All right, buddy,
1: absolutely. Um, okay. Uh, big stuff to get in right now. Um, I'm I'm gonna get into the small stuff first, and then we'll get into the big stuff, as usual. Um, okay, but first of all, um, I, I really want to talk about this because it's really interesting. You know, Russian pranksters. I think this was in, like, the past couple of days or, like, maybe last week. But anyway, they tried to prank Maxine Waters, and she fell fell for a call that claimed it was Greta Thunberg. And, you know, this is – and I don't want to get too much into this, but this is the kind of stupidity our politicians – I mean, this is the stuff they buy into. This is the stuff they read into. And don't forget, these are the same Russian pranksters that went after Adam Schiff and said, Adam Schiff, we got all this information on Russia, on Trump. And remember, Adam Schiff's like, oh, really? Oh, really? Oh, I want it. I want it. Can you imagine if a Republican did something like that? And we're always talking about, oh, the confl- conflicting, uh, you know, things going on with foreign countries and how we're trying to be on these people's side. And, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's like I, I'm seeing – Like, the hypocrisy is the biggest ever. I mean, you're seeing these Democrats and and how they act about, you know, when Republicans do certain things. But these people, you know, I I get the Maxine Waters call was Petty, and she's just stupid for falling for it, and there's no harm there. Like, she's not trying to seek information. But, like, situations like Adam Schiff or any of these Democrats, I mean, there's more examples than just Adam Schiff and Maxine Waters that have been involved in these sort of, you know, (laughs) funny situations. Think about it. Like, if you're somebody like Adam Schiff or you're any one of these Democrats and you're getting this call and you're trying to seek information and, like, nothing happens to them. They don't get held accountable. But we do the slightest thing that usually is just a fictional talking point, which they try to accuse us of, and we get freaking crucified. It's insane. You know what? There needs to be more accountability, whether it's the Hunter Biden thing from the Democrats, whether it's Obama scandals, whether it's, you know, Andrew McCabe. I mean, these people get away with everything after – I mean, it just – it doesn't end. It's a merry-go-round. It's just it's, – it's crazy. I, you know, I don't want to get too off topic. I don't even know why I brought that up, the Maxine Waters thing. It's a very small thing. But it just goes to show these people are hungry. They are – you know, they'll seek anything. Anything they can get on any one of their opponents, it, it, it's on. Like, this is, this is the game they play. This is how dirty – this industry of politics is—it really is. Um. Okay. I want to. Um, I want to. I want to bring this up. We're going to really get into this whole Iran thing, and there's a lot of stuff to go on with the Iran uh, situation. Uh, I just want to touch on this small thing and other headline real quick. But Andrew Yang, you know, Andrew Yang just raised sixteen million dollars in the fourth quarter. Sixteen million. Uh, That was the last quarter, obviously. Everybody knows that, the fourth quarter. But, um, yeah, this this goes to show, and I I keep talking about this over and over, the outsider in the Democratic Party is getting more popular. They're gaining ground. They're gaining traction. You know, I don't agree with Andrew Yang on pretty much 99% of things, but there's like one or two things I I think that he makes some valid points on. I I think if you're going to ask me, if somebody's going to put a gun to my head and say, you have to vote for a Democrat. Who are you going to pick? I would probably have to pick Andrew Yang. He's probably the most sane out of all of them. Uh, but anyway, it just goes to show what I keep saying all the time. Like lately, I mean, not all the time, but lately, I, I notice a pattern of the outsider candidate becoming more popular in the Democratic Party. Uh, Andrew Yang. Um, I mean, Michael Bloomberg to an extent. Um, you know, it, I mean, there, there's different examples. And, and the fact that You know this this is this is good. Whether you agree with these policies or not, uh, this this means that both party voters are are going in that direction. Of we're sick of the politicians. We want more outsiders. We want people. You know, even if it's the most progressive candidate on earth, it could be. You know, they. I really think they want. They're leaning more towards outsiders at this point. We've seen a trend, and, and Donald Trump created this. He created the movement where. He woke up everyone, whether you love him or not. You don't have to be a politician to be president of the United States. You can come out of anywhere and say, oh, I'm running for president. I got good ideas. I can help, you know, and I guess whoever eyes, you know, everybody's eyes are, you know, the way people look at stuff is differently. I mean, we all have our own policy views in terms of like Democrat, Republican, but there, you know, it's, it's one of those things. I, I really believe a door was opened, you know, and the Democrats, this is, this is, a blessing in disguise from Democrats, because they're never going to acknowledge, they're never going to thank Donald Trump for creating this, um, th- this whole, you know, thing. But uh, yeah, I, it really, look at it. I mean, look, look at what he did for the, po- just for everything, for pop, for culture. I mean, for, for the political, for, for everything, our, our
7: society.
1: You know, it, it's, it's cool. I like what, I like what's going on. I, I hope in the future, our elections are not establishment politicians. I hope it's outsider versus outsider. I really do. I think it would make things more fun. I think it'd make things more interesting. I would think I think it would, you know, spice up the um, the whole realm perfectly. It really would. Okay. Um let's see. Okay, this is this is very interesting. And I talk about this on my show before many times. These Democrats in many scenarios have gone so far left, you know, these governors uh, these, these, youth, these Congress people, these Senate people, um, and, you know, these counties, uh, like Kentucky, for instance, there have been other many places that have taken action on this, and I advise and recommend it that all, uh, you know, places run by Democrats that have Republicans in their districts or counties make their situation a sanctuary for Second Amendment as soon as possible, and Kentucky's taking action. You know, they have Democrats in power, Democrats are threatening, especially the governor there who just won threatening to you know put the gun control into play and uh, yeah, I mean you need Kentucky's an American great state it's the best it, it's one of the, the most old school traditional signature values that are that our, our our country was founded upon. I mean they are they are patriots for sure, and I know many, many people in Kentucky that carry, and I would say there's more I would say it's huge there the amount of people that carry. So you're going to try to violate and infringe on, on all these innocent uh, citizens and leave them defenseless? I don't think so. These, this, you know, you want you want to use sanctuary you want to do sanctuary cities for illegals and for all these people that come into our country illegally and break the law. But uh, for law-abiding citizens, you want to leave them hostage? I don't think so. You know, it's right now. Any Republican listening, wherever you're in charge, if you if you want to call your representative. Tell them this is a must. We are going into a time where the Democrats want to take us to to Venezuela situation. You cannot afford uh, to leave yourself in, in, defenseless. You can't. Oh, and, and all these people say, oh, well, our government will take care of us. You know, especially the people on the left. Oh, the Democrat, the, the government, the Democrats, they're all going to help us out. They're going to do what's right. No, no, no. I, and a lot of them, a lot of Democrat voters have woken up. To the corruption, I, I get that, but still, sadly, there's a lot of people that are so oblivious to reality. Sad, it really is. Um, all right, here, here we go. This is this is very interesting, and this is what I talk about on my show all the time, and I'll talk about it again. Uh, the Republican favorite for uh, Donald Trump's uh, you know, the person that's going to take over in 2024 is his son, Don Jr. I knew it. I predicted it. You know. America has fallen in love with this family. They've created this obsession and and this admiration and this amazing, uh, it's like a style I've never seen before. I mean, the focus and and the dedication and the passion uh, for this president and his family is beyond profound. It's beyond unique, beyond anything I've ever seen before. We've never seen so so many people so loved. Um, And when you have something so perfect, When you have a guy that comes in and changes the game like Donald Trump has and exposes every single bad thing, American people want more of it. They don't want to go back to the politician. They don't want to go back to all the special interests and dirty donors. They want the billionaire businessman. They want that mentality. They want the best economy. They want the best job. They want the best stock market. I mean, it's a given. This is like the, this is like having the best gourmet food on earth, and then going back to freaking McDonald's. It's like, come on, dude! You got freaking prime rib, freaking filet, fucking b- everything on earth you ever want. I mean, come on, then you're gonna go back to John. Come on, man! Come on! I mean, this is this is a given. This is beautiful, and the fact that you know it's so early, and Don Jr. is already the favorite to take over, leaves us in the best hands possible because. Trump's going to win re-election by a crazy amount in 2020, more votes than in 2016, and then 2024, the best way to continue everything that was started is to put the son in charge. I mean, duh, you don't want any other person coming in there that doesn't know Trump like like his son does. I mean, come on, common sense. Um, All right, Uh, let's see here. Okay, this is really good, this is really good. I love this. I'm actually pumped up about this. Our boy Ricky Gervais last night. Funny guy makes a lot. He's funny. He's in a lot of you know different different comedies and he's done a lot of different great stand up. But anyways, he's at the Golden Globes last night, and uh, he exposes what Hollywood is known for: pedophilia, befriending people like Jeffrey Epstein and Harvey Weinstein, and uh, you know and, and being this hypocrisy show of oh you know climate change you know, you know they're so obsessed but they'll take their private jets they'll take their gas guzzler that they'll, they'll wear their ten thousand dollar gowns i mean come on i'm glad somebody had the balls and had the freaking you know i love it i love it not enough people will stand up for what's right and now he's getting crucified by all these pussy liberal media outlets oh they're all whining like a bunch of bitches man excuse my french but seriously. I'm sick of the sugarcoating. I'm sick of the lies. I'm sick of the phoniness that is coming out of Hollywood. We need people like Ricky Gervais. We need people, you know, like um, who else has spoken? There's been so many people that have spoken out. Mark Wahlberg's spoken out about it. Uh, Sandler's spoken out about it. Uh, Sylvester Stallone's spoken out about it. I could go on and on. Some of the biggest names are sick of this liberal, hogwash bullshit. They really are. They are. They don't, you know, and the fact that he was getting you know, and you had like, phonies and, and showboats. You know, I like Tom Hanks, great actor, but come on. He, he's an elitist. He's a liberal, he's a liberal fruity, and, uh, you know, he was there make, trying to – making certain faces in the background in the audience, and other actors, too, like, shocked or, like, you know, they're like, oh, wow, he actually said that. Yeah, he did say that. You guys are too used to people telling you what you want to hear. You're not – you live in this bubble. You don't know what it's like to put food on people's table. You really don't. Tom Hanks, Leonardo DiCaprio, flying on his private jet, b- driving his freaking sports car, saying climate change is the biggest threat on Earth. Dude, come on, bro. If you actually believe that, then I want to see you guys live like you actually love and protect the climate. Come on. Jesus Christ. Just like the saying goes, do as I say, not as I do. Very simple, guys. Um, And Walking Phoenix, you know. Oh, and just to clarify, Ricky Gervais called out the Me Too movement. He told these people, take a walk. He told – I mean, he really did. He said, you know, you guys – he went into a lot of different things. I, you know, I don't, I don't want to go in deep. There's a lot of stuff to cover here, but let's just say he, he exposed Hollywood for what they are. He really did. Um, Joaquin Phoenix, though. Joaquin Phoenix was at the Golden Globes last night. The Joker, best movie of last year, 2019. I hope everybody saw it. It really kind of shines light on the problem of mental health. It's not the gun. It's, not, it's the person who has the gun. And it, and it actually touched on a lot more. I mean, it really shows how a guy who gets bullied forever and ever finally has enough and snaps. And believe it or not, these are what these gun situations come from. A lot of people that go on shootings have been bullied, have been traumatized in their life. Uh, but anyways, I don't want to get too off topic. I just recommend everybody uh, sees it, and um, it it really is probably the best superhero movie. And it's not just a superhero movie. Like I said, it's, it's it's dark in a lot of ways. It's it's funny in certain ways. It's sad. It pretty much has the entire you know thing you could want in a flick. That's why it got such good reviews. And that, I think it broke over one billion dollars. Like it broke more records than most movies. It, and Joaquin Phoenix. I've never. This guy's unreal. I mean, he plays in Walk the Line, uh, Johnny Cash, and uh, he's some of the best movies I've ever seen he's been in. Uh, but, guys, I mean, look, think about this. Think about this. You know, uh, the, this whole Joker thing, see it, guys. Everything, see it. I, I, I advise it. But getting back to Joaquin Phoenix, he got on stage at the Golden Globes last night, and he said exactly what everybody else is saying, like Ricky Gervais. You know, if you want to protect the environment, flying on your private jet. And I'm glad somebody as A-star and big and, you know, I mean, A-class, I mean, there's no, no bigger movie star in the world right now than Joaquin Phoenix, in my opinion. He was just in the hottest movie all year. And he's saying to all these celebrities, and this, this carries weight. It speaks volume. It has a lot of merit. Stop flying on your private jet if you care about the environment. Because you have all these critics, you have all these people saying, well, why is Hollywood doing this? If they care so much, if, they, if climate change is the biggest threat, why do they live this gas guzzler, lavish, un, unnecessary lifestyle? You know, you really, you really have to put that uh, into perspective. I mean, it's really uh, something that's long overdue of being called out. So thank you to Joaquin Phoenix. And I don't know Joaquin Phoenix's political stance, uh, but he's spoken out about Me Too. He's spoken out about this bullshit climate change. So I had to guess. He's never said word for word that he's a Trump supporter. But if I had to guess, I wouldn't be surprised. Um, he's, uh, he's a very, very, uh, you know, just incredible, talented, and so down to earth. I mean, that's what, that's what we need more. People that call stuff out and people that have that humility, you know, really a beautiful thing. Um, this is big, and this is necessary, and this is something I've been asking for for a long time on my show. But, and I, I haven't asked for it in Australia, but I've asked for it in California I've asked for it around the United States where it keeps happening, but Australia is now beginning a criminal investigation into bushfire, into the into these whole fires because apparently there might be some arson going on. I want to know who's creating the arson in California because they have wildfires more than any other place I have ever even heard of. It's absolutely insane. It's 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 the biggest absurdity. Uh, We've witnessed it in terms of natural disasters. No place has this much problems like California. I want investigations. I really do. Okay. Uh, let's see. Let's see. Let's see here. Um, Andrew McCabe, this is really big and this needs to be uh, talked about. It was revealed recently in a report uh, that came out, and we already knew he lied, but it was proven that he lied on a report. Andrew McCabe lied. He lied to the FBI about leaking on several occasions. When are they gonna pay? It goes back into what I said on my show earlier, earlier tonight. The double standard. If a Republican does the slightest thing wrong, they're hung. They're crucified. They get the death penalty. But if a Democrat breaks the biggest laws on earth, like Hillary Clinton and Hunter Biden, they get a pass. They get a they get a they get a pass. I mean, come on, dude. Really? Andrew McCabe, I wanna see McCabe, I wanna see Comey. I want to see all these scumbags, Stork, Lisa Page, all these 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 rats. I want them locked up. And I don't know if it's going to happen. I don't know. I don't know what Trump has planned. I think there are going to be indictments. You know, AG Barr and uh, Durham are people that are never going to back down. They're not owned. They're not controlled. They don't have to answer to these lobbyists or special interest groups. So I, I really strongly believe that. They'll pay. They're gonna face the music. They really are. Okay, uh, we're getting into the big stuff. We have a lot of guests coming on tonight. I'm excited. I've a um, lot, a of, lot, a of, lot of stuff to get to. Okay, so this whole Iran thing, it's mind blowing. It is because I'll tell you why. I think Trump did the best thing possible. You got to send a message. You got to send a message. And I'll tell you why. When you get pushed over and over and over and over, you're probably going to get a very hardcore response. Don't forget, Trump gave Iran many, many chances. Iran sabotaged six oil tankers in Strait of Hermann. Trump, you know, said, Okay. You know, Trump, because believe it or not, guys, I'm going to say everything that he, def, you know, kind of played cool and, and was just waiting. Trump, Trump's very strategic. He's very smart. He's got a plan ahead of time. He's playing chess while everybody else is playing checkers. Um, here's another thing. Iran shot down U.S. drone. Trump stayed cool. Uh, attack on the Saudi oil field. Trump stayed cool. Iran attacked the U.S. embassy. Enough is enough. You crossed the fucking line. Excuse my French, but enough is enough. You crossed the line. You attacked our embassy. You attacked our people. This is not Benghazi 2.0. This is not Barack Obama. This is not Hillary Clinton. This is not uh, amateur hours. Uh, we're going to protect our homeland. We're going to protect our people. We're not going to back down when you go to that extra level of insanity and the extreme. I mean, you know, you want to, you want to, you want to, you want to play with us here and there. You want, you want to tease us, try to get us to react. Okay, okay. You know, and, and people have to remember. You know, people ask me, well, why didn't Trump fire early on? Why didn't he do something? Guys, planning this sort of situation, you you really have to have an end game. You really have to know, and it's not as easy as you think. You know, these these weren't. It takes a lot to actually put this in place. And, you know, doing it over something so petty as those other attacks, it, I don't think it would have been in his best interest. But once you really go overboard and go out go to the embassy, we're going to destroy you. And you know what? Sadly, I don't think Iran has learned their lesson. And I think they're going to keep playing. I think they're going to keep messing with us. And what's going to happen is um, it, it, it's going to backfire and their, their country is already gone. And people keep saying, oh, well, they're allies. They're al- Come on. We have the strongest military in the entire world. We have so, many, so much more allies than them. We are way more wealthy than them. Their Iran nuke deal is diminishing, and they're pretty much out of power because of that. Um, it goes on and on. I mean, look at all the sanctions that have been put on. Look at um, how – I mean, President Trump is making it clear. If, if, if he says that they will target 52 sites in Iran, if Iran does a damn thing, we're going and we're take, we are taking over. Very simple. It's like it's like you either want to die or you don't. I mean, that's how I look at Iran's situation. Do you want to die, Iran, or do you not want to die? I mean, it's very simple, because you guys can make this the biggest, we can make this the biggest bloodbath on earth, or you could come to the table. And I think probably what's going to happen, because I, we see how Kim Jong-un and Trump were going back and forth for the longest time, we see that, and how, look what happened. Trump sat down with them. They negotiated. This Kim Jong-un knew there wasn't any way out. He knew it was either talk to Trump, I, this isn't Obama, we're not going to play with you. I mean, it's that simple. And this is, this is, and this is what I love about our leader. This is what I love about our president. He's got giant brass balls. Nothing intimidates him. You mess with them. You mess with him too many times? He's, like, he's that type where he'll let you slide the first couple times you do some petty, petty BS, but you, 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 you give him the third time, he'll blow you up. That's the kind of guy he is. When he reacts, it's going to be lethal. It's going to be severe. It's going to be hardcore. And that's what I love. That's what I love. You know, and, and that's, what I, that's what's weak and, and pathetic about Iran because they have this mindset, oh, he's not reacting we can keep pushing him a little 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 more no not not the case at all you got he was he was he had you guys the entire time he was playing you guys and you know what now he took out your freaking dear leader the scumbag the rapist the terrorist he makes Harvey Weinstein look like a saint that guy and guess what the liberal media the mainstream media is trying to humanize him trying to make him look like he was some freaking scholar trying to make him look like he was some freaking king i don't think so And you know what you have people in the streets of iran cheering that this guy's dead and thanking president trump for getting rid of him because of, of how bad he was on human rights but then you have liberals because president trump gets a win they can't stand it and they oppose everything about it and don't forget when obama never got congressional approval for any of these missiles Any of these situations, he never. there were things in Syria. I don't know. It was like over 2,000 missiles fired and no congressional approval. So Pelosi, stop the booze. Stop the Xanax. Whatever you're taking, you know, get another facelift if you have to. You already look like a mummy. You look scary. But uh, I don't, you know what? You guys are in a ship. You pencil neck, wimpy soy boy. Oh, my God, man. Whoever raised you, God damn, man. I blame them. But uh, Jesus, man, like, get it. This is ridiculous. It's the biggest double standard. The hypocrisy show continues on in Washington, D.C. And you know what? It's always a new obsession. The Democrats, you know, it's Ukraine. Then it's Iran. I mean, they want to find whatever sticks, and they want to keep pushing it. And you know why they're so uh, good on this, the Democrats, is because they have the media on their side. This is why they succeed. They brainwash everybody. That, that's watching their channels. I mean, it's it's really, I mean, it's, it's beyond overboard. And don't forget, Obama sanctioned Soleimani for attempted terror attack in Washington, D.C. The Democrats and the media praised Obama for putting sanctions on him. But when Trump does a damn thing, Trump's looked at as Hitler. Trump's looking, looked at as a, a person that's going to start a World War III. Trump's looked at, I mean, the way they glorify and exaggerate and hyperball, make these Headline so hyperbolic, it's, wow. I mean, it's like, what the hell? I mean, seriously. And don't forget, Soleimani once threatened Trump, Iran will destroy everything you own. They started saying that. They've been threatening him for the longest time. They have. And, I mean, I'm seeing everything. You know, and don't forget the Quad's force leader, Soleimani, his death marks a huge blow to the Iran regime, they're they're saying that this is bigger than Bin Laden's killing. Uh, General Petraeus, who got prosecuted for doing far less than anybody's ever done, he got they ruined his life. He said this is the biggest thing, bigger than Bin Laden, taking out of this guy. It's huge, it's really huge. And you know, Iran's already replaced their terror chief. They've already they, they're already they already have their agenda. They're just gonna. I mean, it's insane. These people, death to America. They've got all these uh, hateful objectives. These people are looking to go after us. They'll never. It's like it's like when are they going to give up? That's why I'm like, I think like if they really want anything from us because they're only going to lose, they have to talk to Trump. I mean, it's like these people are. It's madness. We now have three thousand troops over there. So, you know, I like what Trump did. Like I said earlier in the show. All I want to know is, what's the end game? What's the long-term plan? He's got great people around him, Mike Pompeo, um, various people that are advising him, but he's also got some scary people around him that love war and are neocons, you know? Lindsey Graham. I mean, I like some of the things Lindsey Graham does, got some good policies, but he's also a war guy. Trump's not a war guy. Look how many times Trump has avoided war. Look how many times Trump has, you know, bit his tongue. because I mean, he doesn't want innocent lives lost. He doesn't want money wasted. I mean, l- war is the last resort in Trump's eyes. And I get a lot of these politicians have a lot of money invested over there, and that's why they're so fond of it. It's really, uh, it's, a, it's, it's all about money. Um, Soleimani was, a. you know, here's another thing. Soleimani hired a Mexican cartel associate to assassinate a Saudi ambassador on U.S. soil. Don't forget that. And they've been responsible for thousands and thousands of American lives. They've been responsible for ambushes overseas uh, of our soldiers. I mean, it never ends. And now you have uh, our, some of our soldiers being attacked in the Ken- Kenya today, Jihad attack. And I, I believe this was planned. I believe this was the aftermath and payback from what happened. Um, and this is how they, This is how the you know, people in Iran wanted to get us back. And I believe they – I'm not going to say they were the total ones behind it, but I think they really had something to do with it. But now a couple more of our guys are killed in an ambush. It's ridiculous. It is ridiculous. You know, these these people have so much anger. They got so much anger. They really do. Um let's go to Tim. Let's go to Tim Faison Baker first. Tim. Go ahead.
2: And you were fired up tonight, Rory. <laughs> it's uh, it's awesome to hear uh and and I've been saying since 2020. Oh, Tim, real quick. It, Tim, I just
0: want to yeah. say,
1: real quick. I, the, la- the last thing I did not mention was to, I think it was today or yesterday, Iraq voted uh, to expel U.S. military forces, so getting our troops out of there. So that's a really big thing. And the mainstream media doesn't even want to talk about that. You know, these liberals say they're so anti war, but Trump's taking us, taken us out of Iraq, and now they're so fixated on Iran. And I think – I really think this whole Iran thing, I think Trump's playing it cool, and I think it's going to be fine.
2: I I agree, and I've been saying this is the year of the American, and for many of these topics, that's exactly why I'm I'm saying it. So it it actually comes out that the acronym is YOTA, Y-O-T-A, year of the American. So with Iran, since we're talking about that and how this really helps the American is that, yeah, we are – … … showing that we are that force. We have the pride again that we used to have, say, when, when Ronald Reagan was president. And we, we have that little chip on our shoulder now to say hey, we're proud to be Americans. We didn't have that in the prior administration. So it, it's going back to the American that we're winning. And, and this – if this means that we get out of Iraq, I mean I, I want to be out of there. I want these wars to end. Most Americans do. And I feel sorry that all the men and women that we lost. I don't want this to be in vain. But ultimately, this is taking us out of the Middle East and dealing with these things. So peace, through strength, but we have to we have to stand strong, stand tall, and if somebody does something like what Iran did, we need to have the proper response. Unlike what they did in Benghazi, which we all felt horrible about, except maybe the the players that were involved there. So this has gone back to the American. So that, that is awesome that I'm glad that's going on. The sanctuary gun counties that we were talking about earlier, this also goes back to the American because the average American watched how the Democrats skirted the system with these sanctuary counties for these illegals, and we, we were pretty much helpless. We couldn't do anything, so now we took a play – a page out of their playbook and said – Okay, if you're going to do this, we're going to do this now, and we're going to protect our God-given right, which is the ability to arm ourselves and protect ourselves from a tyrannical government and many of the things that these socialists are doing. So in Virginia, this is going on. January 20th, there's a, a major rally going on down there where we're standing up and say, hey, government, if you want to try to overreach and you want to come take our guns, we're ready for you. But we're going to do it the legal way first, which is the Sanctuary County, and we'll continue fighting that. So this is going to be very interesting to play out. Uh, Kentucky is a beautiful state, and you were talking about Kentucky. I love it. That is prototypical American right there. Virginia, keep a very sharp eye on this because – or a very close eye because you never know what's going to happen here in Virginia. And I have a feeling that something, something's going to blow up down in Virginia because these people will not. Stand aside and let these people take their guns and and destroy our God-given rights. So Ricky Gervais, this was awesome. This also goes back to being the year of the American because so many people have tuned out of Hollywood, and we don't watch these programs anymore. So Ricky Gervais gets up there, and he says exactly what we all know, and you were right. Tom Hanks, that look on his face was – it said it all. And, and he just knew it and they didn't like it. But this ultimately will help Hollywood because now it gets it gets that, that sunlight into that, that, that poison that they have there. And maybe a lot more Americans now will will tune into something because they had failing ratings. So now we're gonna be interested to see. Will this continue? I think they'll squash it like idiots. They should clean out what they what they're guilty of. But um And that goes right into the Maxine Waters thing that you talked about in the very beginning with the fake Greta Thunberg phone call. I heard that today, and I was in tears laughing. And it reminded me of the Adam Schiff thing, and then I found out I believe it might be the same comedians that were setting this up. And on your program before, you had Joe Collins who's running against Maxine Waters, and he and I have had many conversations about her abilities to – to speak on many of these topics coherently. And it just goes to show that a lot of these politicians are being shown that they are maybe just past their prime, that they've been in there and we've had enough of them. And she is falling for these these games or tricks, jokes, because she wants to believe it. And maybe she's not even realizing how vulnerable she is. I think there was uh, one of the other people in California as well had the, um, the spy on her on her uh, her camp or her team might have been uh, boxer or something along those lines. It's they tend to overlook many of these things because they have an, another objective to, to meet. Uh, meet. Uh, Joaquin Phoenix. I want to uh, talk about him for a second here because he's a great actor. I've always loved watching him in the films. Somebody else that. … I think fits that mold of what you were talking about. Keanu Reeves, very humble, and I don't know where he stands politically, but he's humble, and he doesn't go out and say say those things about politics. But a quick background thing on me. I'm a former executive in the mental health, so when you talked about that with, with the Joker, and that comes back to the American again. It's We don't have the, the facilities like we used to 40, 50 years ago where we had people who had mental issues that we could… We could let them go to a, a mental health hospital and get that person off the street. Now, because of HIPAA laws and, and taking away those hospitals, these people are in the streets. So, yeah, if they do get some kind of weapon to harm people, whether it's a fire or a knife, a knife or guns, then they, they are a risk. So we need to really evaluate how we are handling the people with mental health issues. Most of the homelessness that is going on out there is, I mean it's – Part of the economy, but it's also because of, of mental health issues there as well. So, wow. that's, that's, I'm not saying you brought
0: that up.
2: something's going
1: on with your connection. All right, now. Timmy there.
2: Now you're good. Yeah, better.
1: Yeah.
2: All right. So, uh, I'll wrap it up here with Andrew McCabe. I'm glad you brought him up because. This goes again to show that there are two Americas here. You have the the elitist that always get away with their stuff, and I'm 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 skeptical that something will happen to McCabe. But then you have all the other Americans. If they did the same thing, and we've seen it, they will be incarcerated and, and held accountable. I'm praying that something happens now where he's held accountable for what he did to give power and and, and the um, belief in the American system again. I'm afraid it won't happen, but It needs to happen. So many of the things that we are seeing under the Trump administration and in 2020 is putting the Americans back in power, and that's why I'm saying it's the year of the American. And you have great topics again tonight, Rory. I'm looking forward to the rest of the show. Rory? Yeah, did you have any other thoughts? Uh, That's it. I'm looking forward to the rest of the show. And uh, as always, it's great topics. Absolutely, my friend.
1: Um, let's go
2: to Todd,
3: who's running for Congress, who is, is
1: probably going to run for Congress in uh, Tennessee. But Todd, your thoughts on everything. Go ahead, Todd McKinley.
3: Yeah, yeah, Roy, you, you did unpack a lot of stuff there. Uh, I just want to make one note. Uh, it wasn't Boxer, it was Feinstein, who had the Chinese spy on her staff while she was chairman of the Senate Intelligence Committee. And he wasn't somebody she just hired. He had been on that committee for years, apparently, working for her. So that's just something to think about. And of course, Feinstein, you know, uh, uh, one of those people, you know, hypocrite, never got called out for this. And of course, Debbie Wasserman Schultz, same thing, had spies uh, from Eastern Europe uh, or the Middle East somewhere. I can't remember off the top of my head. But she also had people spying uh, on her and in her committee as well, doing the IT work, if you remember that. And, And they caught them, I believe it was at Dulles Airport trying to flee the country. Uh, and they 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 took you know hundreds of thousands of dollars in contracts and sent money out of the country. Uh, who knows who they uh, funded over there? Uh, I also want to hit hit on a quick note that I think I sent you the uh, link earlier. Uh, the Kenya attack: a, a man from Tucson, Arizona. Since you're out in Arizona, uh, was killed. He was a contractor, a pilot named Dustin Harrison. Um, you know, so for the folks out in Arizona you know just something to think about you know make sure you have your uh, say your prayers for him and his family and of course everyone all the soldiers that are you know deployed around the world wherever they're at, they're at right now i mean potentially in harm's way uh in nearly every country that we're in these days and even at home now um you know, and, and, and I, I know you talked about the sanctuary uh, counties. Uh, my county, uh, and I know I touched on this probably uh, a few weeks ago on your show, uh, voted to become a, a sanctuary county. Uh, and, and essentially, what a sanctuary county does, it, it sends a note to the uh, your state reps and your state senators, and, and also the governor as well of, of the state, that the people of that particular county. Do not want red flag laws that, that they do not want any sort of hindrance to their Second Amendment rights, uh, and, and it basically just sends a uh, a message to them not not to vote for that. Uh, of course, they could they could still go past legislation and, and you know and enforce red flag laws if they want to, but they do set their own political peril uh, uh, for certain. Uh, and also, it, it says that sheriffs of that county, uh, for the most part, are, are on board with not confiscating or not enforcing any red flag laws within that county, which I, I certainly agree with that. Um, you know, and of course, gun bans, as we all know, is in confiscation or or in any sort of uh, registration or what have you. It, it's it's not about gun safety or gun violence or anything like that. It, it is about control, power and control over, over the you know the, the peasants that are out there. Of course, once you have the guns, you can inflict your will, uh, you know, on on, on people w- without without fear of having anybody be able to fight back against you. Uh, you know, and that's why the, you know you, you see them ever so often want to put these uh, absorbent taxes on, uh, you know, ammo, or have to have a license to buy even even ammo, or, or or even banning ammo uh, as a backdoor gun gun grab. I mean, if you don't have ammo, you know, I mean, your, your your gun is nearly useless. It might as well be a baseball bat. So, you know, they try all sorts of little, little tricks. Uh, but you know, liberal Democrats or or not necessarily liberal Democrats, but the lefts leftists in this country, they're not about. You know, asking for one inch, so you know they'll tell you, well, you have a whole mile over there. Can I just have an inch? Uh, As soon as you get an inch, uh, the next thing you know, they're going to ask you for a foot. Then they're going to ask you for a hundred foot, and so on and so forth. Pretty soon, your back's against the wall, and you never, you're never going to get anything back. So the thing is, is to dig in. You know, don't compromise with these people. Uh, you know, and, and unless there's something that, that's a, that's a good idea, it's a, a good piece of legislation that's out there where compromise, uh, you know, make, makes sense to get something good for your constituents. So as long as what you're going to give up doesn't uh, doesn't uh, you know infringe on your, your constituents' constitutional rights, um, you know, so that's just something to think about. You know, the left is not about in, in any way, um, you know, working with the right or compromise. It's all one way street with them. And once they once they have enough power, once they can seize your guns or or what have you, they're going to inflict their will on you. I mean, history repeats itself. I mean, look look at you know look at China, look at the various socialist countries. Uh, You know, look at uh, you know the Iron Curtain, look at the Soviet Union, look at what they did, killed twenty some odd million people, and that's a a very conservative estimate. Um, You know, murdered people. Uh, So you know, let's just think about that before you want to go and vote for a Democrat. Uh, you may not like Trump's tweets or the way he says something, but by damn, he's a uh, you know getting stuff done for the American people. and He's standing, standing up for you. Uh, so think about that before you think about pulling the uh, pulling the lever for Joe Biden or Pete Buttigieg, who you know all they they're just they're mild, they're moderate. And that, that's absolutely BS. Uh, the mild, moderate Democrats are all dead. They're no longer in charge of the party. Uh, you know. Uh, if Joe Biden were to say to become president, it's not going to happen, but let's just say he, he were to become president. Do you think he's really going to be the one uh, that's that, uh, passing legislation or, or really deciding what he's going to sign into law? He's just going to sit there and, and drool, uh, drink drink his little soup, and of course sign whatever the hell he's told to sign. Uh, so that's just something to think about. Uh, and, and the Democrats that are attacking President Trump for, for legally attacking or, or killing uh, General uh, Soleimani. You know, and it's funny is if you look the very next day, what happened? Uh, mainstream media media calling it an assassination. In no way was this an assassination. He was an armed, uh, excuse me, a uniformed member of a opposition force, a, a military force that has been killing uh, millions. Or, not to say millions of Americans. But but hundreds if not thousands of Americans, especially responsible for hundreds and, and thousands of attacks throughout not only the Middle East but other parts of, of, of that of that area, uh, and killing also innocent civilians, to include children. Uh, but you know all of a sudden the, the left wants to come out and, and, and condemn President Trump and also take take up with this guy as if he was some sort of martyr. You know the only way I I, I could be able to see, say that it was an assassination is if the general was legally within Iraq. On a diplomatic mission, uh, you know, dealing with the uh, Iraqi Parliament. However, he wasn't. He was there to help organize that protest and also to help organize other attacks. Uh, you know, I, I trust uh, Secretary Pompeo and the way he told, uh, you know, Chris Wallace on on um, uh, Fox News Sunday. Uh, Let me know all I need to know. Uh, without telling, you know, without giving any secrets uh, and, and, and methods and things of that nature, led me to believe that there was something else that was going on. They had great actionable intelligence. Uh, President Trump g- gave the go order and ensured that only him and, and his henchmen were, were going to be affected, were going to be killed. No other collateral damage. No, no civilians were killed during that attack. So that's just something to think about. And President Trump had called off a number of, a, uh, of, a, of attacks on, on targets such as that because he thought. Yeah, uh, civilians were going to get killed, and, and President Trump, you know, said, I- "I'm not going to, I'm not going to do anything." You know, we're going to let this guy go. And finally, they had they had the perfect target of opportunity, and they took it perfect. Uh, you know, another thing, the impeachment trial. You know, uh, if you remember back, uh, back uh, probably last summer, and then you get in October, and whenever they decided to vote on the uh, the inquiry and all that, and uh, you know, some of the things that they were saying is, you know, it's an imperative to get rid of President Trump. You know, he's a danger to America. Uh, he's a danger to the uh, you know the Constitution, which is nonsense. Uh, and, and of course, if you remember, you know the quote-unquote, we're going to go there and impeach the M.F.R. Um, you, you know, if, if impeachment was so important to get him out out of power, if it was so important, why didn't Nancy Pelosi, why didn't Speaker Pelosi send those articles, of impeachment over uh, to Mitch McConnell over in the Senate and say, here you go, it's yours. Uh, you know, do with it what you will. Uh, have your trial, whatever. Um, but instead, she's holding on to these, and, and now all of a sudden they're going to – well, we need to look for some, some more um, articles. And the reason they're trying to look for more articles is because they realize that the articles of impeachment, the two articles of impeachment that, 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 that are listed have, have nothing uh, – do not violate any law. There's no felony or anything listed in there. If you remember uh, during President Clinton's impeachment, he was accused of multiple felonies, and those were in the articles of impeachment. Same thing with, with, with uh, President Nixon. Of course, he resigned uh, you know, wisely, I think, um, you know, before he could be impeached. Uh, but you know, there's no crime here. There's nothing wrong. Uh, does President Trump go through through his daily routine doing everything perfect? No, and nobody, nobody does. Uh, so if you want to have a disagreement with it, have a disagreement on substance, not, not, the, not the way that he says something or delivers something. Uh, you know, who cares his, his style? Uh, is he getting things done? How is the economy doing? Is he protecting Americans and American lives? Is he standing up for the rights of, of our country? Is he standing up for you know, uh, American workers and our economy, standing up to China? Absolutely. He has no problem using the bully puppet. He has no problem using tariffs. He has no, no problem using rough or tough language, and at the same time, he has no problem uh, when, when the time is right uh, with the consultation of his generals and his intelligence uh, uh, advisors. Of taking somebody out like Soleimani, and I applaud him for it. you know and, and I'm on President Trump's side whenever he says, you know the endless wars have to stop. They, they absolutely do. If we have no strategic end, we have no real uh, no, no end game where, we, where where we can actually declare victory, you know there's no reason for us to continue to spill blood and spend our treasure in those areas. Uh, we're not going to be defeated militarily, but what's going to end up happening is the American people are going to lose interest, which a lot of them absolutely have. And at the same time, uh, you know, Capitol Hill, uh, what, what are they focusing on? They're not focusing on, um, you know, funding our military, making sure it's uh, the strongest military in, in the world and, and uh, being able to protect us and, and fight our wars if, where needed. Really, what they're worried about is, you know, buying votes from, from certain naive individuals, uh, young kids, what have you. Um, so th- th- at the end of the day, you know, the, the Democrats. By and large, not all—I shouldn't say that—but by and large, uh, are are basically anti-American. Uh, they they hate the Constitution. They they hate facts. You know, I I love the whole hashtag facts matter. They absolutely do matter. Uh, you know, but at some point, Democrats are going to have to live in reality. Because if they get elected, let's say they get elected, they 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 they, they keep control of the House. They say they gain the Senate. They gain the White House. How are they going to pay for all these things? And at the same time, what are they going to inflict on everyday law-abiding, constitution, constitutional-abiding uh, Americans who just want to be left to hell alone and, and live their life and raise their family uh, as best they can and not, not hurt anybody else? Because at the end of the day, what's going to happen is the old jackbooted thugs will show up at your door, uh, and you know, they will seize your guns, and they will take you away, whatever they need to do. And and, and you could say that's rule of far it's That's uh, fantastical. And, and maybe it is where we are currently. But listen to the rhetoric, and, and look at history. Anyway, thanks, Roy. I appreciate it. Absolutely, always well said. Thank you. Thank you,
1: Todd. Yes, sir. Uh, let's go. Let's go to uh, retired police chief and homicide detective Michael Valsey. Michael, go ahead.
4: Thanks, Roy. Um, a lot of topics tonight. Uh, the Russian bracelets. I mean, that thing. You have to understand that these uh these people are grasping now. I mean, they're desperate. They're trying to dirty Trump up in any way they can. They're trying to they're trying to grab something because they have absolutely nothing on this guy. Uh he's done a remarkable job. They definitely can't ruin against his record. And what they're really afraid and a lot of things we that you've covered already so far, all go back to the same point, they're afraid of exposure. They're afraid their wrongdoings are going to be exposed. This Iran thing is no different. The Democrats' and deep states' ties to Iran are deep. You know, hence the, uh, what, 1.3 billion he sent over there, Obama sent over there. I mean, the the ties are deep. I'll get into that in a second. And and I think Andrew Yang raising $16 million, it, it, it shows the Democrats, the true Democrats, those of which are left, I'm not talking about candidates, I'm talking about citizens, they're rejecting socialism. They don't want socialism. there are a few radicals that want socialism, but the but majority of Democratic voters don't want it. And I think the fact he raises $16 million shows the fractures in that Democratic Party. I mean, we're seeing a party in total destruction. I mean, they're self-destructing. Uh, I wanted to touch on the Second Amendment sanctuaries only because I think what's been a pet peeve of mine for a while is I think they're great. I mean, you need those Second Amendment sanctuaries. But I can't believe that we haven't had a class action lawsuit filed by, you know, some attorney that's just looking to make a name for himself that's willing to get some people together and take some minimal donations from people in every state and take this thing to the Supreme Court and fight these states on this. It's a constitutional right, and the Supreme Court would be hard-pressed to side with the states. So, I mean, that's just my thought on that. Uh, you know, uh, things of less consequence have made it to the Supreme Court. I mean, that's an actual constitutional right, and it should be it, it should be brought up before the Supreme Court and just put a stop to these states trying to take away people's guns. Um, Regarding, regarding McCabe, uh, I believe there was a hint of a criminal referral in the IG report. I'm, I'm a little bit more optimistic about him and others being being uh, incarcerated eventually for their crimes. Remember, we had the IG report that came out. The, uh, AG Barr is still holding the D-Class. And that's another thing the Dems are fighting against. They're fighting the president at every turn. They're trying to prevent this declassification. But it's going to come out. And then after the declass, you're going to get the Durham and Huber reports. Those are going to bring with them many, many criminal indictments. So when you put all this in perspective and you realize they have so many reasons to fight this president and try to stop him at every turn or dirty him up, because they know what's coming. And they can't stop it. And it's got to be a pretty devastating feeling for them. And I was I was glad Javas uh, I was glad that he exposed that, at, uh, you know, because there are people that tune into that, even though they're viewing uh, the audience's way down. There are people that tune in, you know, and that plants the seed in those people's minds. So when some of these things do start happening and some of these people are arrested, they're going to say, wow, he was telling the truth. So I, those things are all important. With regards to Iran, there was a couple of interesting thoughts. You know, we've been in conflict with Iran since the late 70s, and they don't think there's any secret there. My concern with this Soleimani is that he was the guy orchestrating all of this. And I think he was trying to assert Iran's will in Iraq. Now, both the people of Iran and the people of Iraq love the United States. They actually had to pay people to attend this service for Soleimani, right? They forced them. They forced business owners out of their shops. They forced everyday people on the street to attend uh, under the threat of death. But the majority of people are on our side. They wanted this guy gone. And, yeah, to call it an assassination is utterly ridiculous. But that's a way to dirty up the president, and that's all they're trying to do. Uh you know, there was uh and that's the other thing I think I need to mention here is that the media there, the propaganda they're spilling to the people both in Iraq and in Iran is way worse than what we're we're dealing with. And you know how our media is is, is uh tainted and controlled and propagandized, and it's way worse over there. I was I read an article about that today. So I trust the president. He doesn't want war. Uh, we're not going to go to war. And I think the Iran situation is much like what we saw in North Korea, where the government there was being controlled by this deep state regime for which Soleimani was a big part and probably the head guy or one of the head guys. Uh, once you, you take that faction out, I think there's a good chance, and Pompeo hinted around at it when he did that interview on Fox News Sunday, Is he didn't come out and say it, but uh, don't be surprised if there's not talks going on between the Trump administration and the Iranian government right now. I kind of believe that's, that's actually taking place. I mean, we saw a lot of rhetoric between North Korea and the president, and even though there hasn't been a final deal signed yet, you know it's in the works. I think the same thing is happening here in Iran.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Very, very well said. Uh, Thank you, Michael. I really appreciate it. Um, Everybody, uh, stay with us. Um, We'll be right back. We've got a big show tonight. Uh, A lot, a lot to get to. This is the Rory Sauter Show. A lot of guests, too. I will be introducing my guests when I come back. Stay with us.
2: TGI Friday's famous sizzling entrees that you know and love, like chicken, shrimp, and cheese, just got even hotter. With new delicious tastes like whiskey flat-iron steak and the tastiest sizzling street noodles. Hurry in. Now starting at only $10. We bring the sizzle like no other. New sizzling entrees starting at $10. TGI Friday's, the home of endless apps. Endless apps every night, 9 p.m. to close. any sudden decrease or loss in hearing or vision or any allergic reactions like rash, hives, swelling of the lips, tongue or throat or difficulty breathing or swallowing stop taking Cialis and get medical help right away ask your doctor about Cialis for daily use and a free 30 tablet trial
1: hello everybody this is Rory Sodder from the Rory Sodder show are you an aspiring entrepreneur do you have an app idea do you want to save money well i got great news for you My company, GetYourAppBuilt.com, charges a fraction of the cost compared to anywhere else, and all of our work is the same amount of professionalism you'd see from any other company. Uh, Please visit our website, GetYourAppBuilt.com, for your free consultation and contact us today. Thank you. Hello, everybody. This is Rory Sodder from The Rory Sodder Show.
4: I'm Ray and I quit smoking with Chantix. I tried cold turkey, I tried the patch, they didn't work for me. I didn't think anything was gonna work for me until I tried Chantix.
2: Chantix, along with support, helps you quit smoking.
4: Chantix reduced my urge to smoke. I needed that to quit.
2: Tell your health care provider if you've had depression or other mental health problems. Decrease alcohol use while taking Chantix. Use caution when driving or operating machinery. The most common side effect is nausea.
4: I can't tell you how good it feels to have
0: smoke behind me. Talk to your doctor about Chantix.
8: And we are back. The
1: Rory Sauter Show, coast to coast worldwide, listened to in 25 different countries on nearly 70 online platforms. Everybody, it's a beautiful night. I do want to welcome to the show our first guest, Fox News commentator and political consultant, Lee Spickerman. Lee, how are you? Welcome.
6: Terrific, Rory. Great to be with you.
1: Absolutely. Your first time on the show. Uh, You have quite the resume. You've done a lot in your life. Uh, Tell us a little bit about yourself. Can I give a bio?
6: Well, I've uh, been very active in the media industry. I was a television uh, executive and producer uh, for many years, also done a lot of political work, worked with my friend Newt Gingrich when he ran for president in 2012, Uh, worked with uh, Jeb Bush and uh, George P. Bush, his son, who is our state land commissioner in Texas, which is an office other states don't have but a very important office. uh, position in the state of texas and a multi-billion dollar agency that uh, that he oversees very effectively so i worked with him on his re-election campaign so i've been involved in a lot of political activities i was a surrogate for the trump campaign in 2016 uh and as you said i do commentary now on uh, fox business and fox news and other uh, television and radio outlets so it's uh it's an interesting uh, panoply of activities, and I'm very passionate about uh, keeping our country first, and also for us uh, conducting ourselves in a manner that uh, deserves for us to be first.
1: I love it. I love it. And so, you know, you, you've had you've had quite the, the political uh, career. I mean, you, you've done a consulting for quite a few people, and um, so so the latest you're working on is with. Um, in texas with george p bush right
6: absolutely and i think he i think george p bush really epitomizes the future of the republican party in the united states and i think he's a big reason why texas is not going uh, purple much less blue anytime soon uh i mean uh, he's he's a veteran he's a conservative he's uh a bush family member obviously which has a Tremendous uh, network and following in the Republican Party and, and among the quote unquote establishment Republicans. Uh, he's Hispanic, very proudly Latino, uh, and he is a Trump supporter. In fact, at the last rally that President Trump had in Texas, uh, George P. Bush was on the podium and uh, President Trump invited him to speak, which he did. And, and Trump said, This is the one Bush who likes me. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so uh, and, and uh, Trump Trump endorsed him when he ran for re-election, which we highlighted heavily in in our advertising. So I think he really captures the combination of attributes that uh, will enable the Republican Party to move very strongly into the future. And and you know he's been very strong against racism and the need for uh, racial healing in our country. So these are values that uh, are not uh, in
5: conflict. These are. These are real conservative pro American values that he epitomizes, right. and I think are going to be terrific for our party and going forward in Texas and across the country if if we move in that direction.
1: Absolutely, and and how let, let me let me ask you this, and, and I and I don't I, I want to you know ask it in the nicest way possible. How how does he separate you know because I know Jeb Bush has had issues with Trump in the past. How does George Bush kind of separate that because I know Jeb is his father and I know you know right. cl- have they're very
6: close and I worked for Jeb you know I, I knocked on a lot of doors in New Hampshire and South Carolina during the primary campaign in 2016 for Jeb Bush he's an amazing guy extremely talented uh, it was you know it was just not his year I, I just think because of where the country was and uh, where the Republican mindset had moved uh, we were ready for Donald Trump, and and you're right. There c- certainly was no love lost between uh, Jeb Bush and and uh, Trump. But uh, on the other hand, I think and and George P. Bush, by the way, just killed himself for his dad. Uh, he worked very hard in that campaign, yeah. and they're very close. Um, but you know, George P. Bush also uh, does believe that our country uh, is first, and he knows that that President Trump, uh, even though they had a... Well, let me just add one other thing. George P. Bush has grown up in a political family, and he well remembers that his grandfather, his beloved grandfather, his grand uh, George H.W. Bush, had a brutal, for the time, and maybe not by today's standards, but for the time, in 1980, a brutal primary campaign with Ronald Reagan. Remember, it was his grandfather that coined the phrase voodoo economics, which was probably the only chink and reagan's armor in that entire primary campaign uh so they had a brutal primary campaign and what happened ronald reagan named that man that had probably that had actually was the last to withdraw from the campaign and gave him the toughest fight he named him vice president he was one of the most effective vice presidents we've ever had uh if not the most effective we've ever had so uh i think george p bush understands how politics works and understands that you can have really uh, vitriolic, brutal uh, campaigns and but when push comes to shove, our country is first, and if a candidate manages to win, if you get beaten, um, and that person epitomizes and and advances the ideas and values that are best for the country. you don't let your personal um, personal considerations get in the way of that. I'll throw in one other thing, and that is that George P. Bush had become friends with Donald Trump jr. So there was a, you know, they're about their their cohorts in terms of age, contemporaries, and so there was kind of a family connection there uh, in another direction. Uh, so the upside, is that George P. Bush realized, this is where the Republican Party is. Uh, yes, this man said things that I, I didn't like about my dad. I love my dad first, but I also love my country, and it's better for my country, it's better for my party, it's better for better for my family if George P. Or rather, if Uh, Donald Trump is elected than if Hillary Clinton is elected, Uh, and I want to make sure that happens. So he was the first in the Bush family to endorse uh, now President Trump, and as I said, President Trump endorsed George P. Bush in in his case. Campaign. I, I, even though he was the incumbent, George P. Bush had a very tough primary here in Texas, which I worked on, because his predecessor right. in office, who was also a Republican, <laughs> decided to to come wanted his job back, and he, he you know, he, so it was not an easy primary. Um, and so Trump's endorsement was given the huge backing for Trump among Texas Republicans was extremely important. And something that we highlighted uh, very proudly, and it's a big reason that despite having three opponents, one of whom was very prominent, uh, he won nearly 60 percent of the vote in the primary. So uh, I think George P. Bush has struck that balance. I think he's uh, – he again, he really captures what uh, a lot of Republicans that kind of have nostalgia for the Bush family and loved – Uh, George H.W. Bush and and the whole Bush family and all of the great things that they've done for our country in public service and and the military. Um, And so he has that group, very loyal to him, but also Trump supporters because they know George P. Bush is a conservative, but he is not an establishment conservative. I mean, he's proud of the Bush legacy, uh, rightly so, but he also understands that the donor class and the kind of the traditional Republicans uh, that, that people have thought of when they thought of the Republican Party are not the future. The future are average Americans, hardworking Americans, white, black, Latino, every every group, women. Um, and it's it's a, it's it's being a party that's about them and how they can succeed and how, if you know, government. You know, my personal belief is I'm not anti-government. I'm anti-incompetent government, and I'm anti-overweening government. Uh, I, and, and I think George P. Bush understands that. Um, so he he strikes really the right balance, and I think that's why he's done very well, and, and his future is really unlimited. It's just a matter of really what he wants to pursue. But he's the kind of guy that focuses on the job at hand. He's really focused on the land commission job, which is managing all of Texas Lands, mineral rights, uh, the Alamo, which is the number one tourist destination in Texas, one of the one of the top tourist destinations in the country, and there's a wonderful master plan uh, and and tr- wonderful enhancements to the Alamo uh, historic site that uh, Land Commissioner Bush is overseeing. So he's he's got a lot of and uh, flood control, you know, veterans programs here in Texas come under his domain. So he's got a lot to work on in the office. And he really focuses on that more than politics. And he figures, you know, the political side will take care of itself if I do a good job.
1: Right. Right. And, and I want to ask you, no, very, very well said, very, very well said. And I going to ask you, so, you know, we were talking earlier about Texas and, and the worries, and, I, and I've discussed this on my show before about it possibly going blue. I, I mean, I, I think hell will freeze over before that ever happens. But I mean, I, I think it's a worry in certain people's eyes and, you know, certain air. I, I guess certain parts of Texas and the state, in, in in different aspects, has changed to purple. Not quite blue, but I mean, you see how popular people like Be Beto has become, and all these different leftists in Texas. And it's scary because it's not real Texans who. It, it's the people from California, these liberal areas, that are coming there, and that are voting for this. It's not. It's not true Texans that are voting for this crap. But since Texas has such a good economy, uh, it. Brings in more and more people. Same thing with Arizona. I live in Arizona. I'm originally from Seattle. Uh a liberal hellhole. Looks like a third world country in Seattle right now. Moved down to Phoenix, Arizona about seven years ago.
6: Seattle's a beautiful
1: Seattle's a beautiful. It's a beautiful Hey, hey, I love growing up there. (laughs) I love an easy place to spend my childhood. Beautiful. But the politicians have turned it into San Francisco. It's really you know, sad. They've made a lot of uh, mistakes.
6: They've made. They've, there's no question. And I say, you know, San Francisco is a wonderful city too, but obviously, it's right. been impaired greatly by right. the homeless and the house, the housing right. crisis, and uh, you know, no question. I want to. I, I will say about Texans as a as a man who was born and raised in Texas, a proud Texan, though I've lived many other places in our country and loved every one of them. So I'm blessed. You know, one thing I've learned is that really anywhere in this country, country that you live. If, if, you're, if you're working, if you've got loved ones and friends, uh, you can be happy. This is a great, great country everywhere. Uh, but as a Texan, uh, I'll say that anybody that moves here is a real Texan. I don't distinguish. If they come from California, if they come from Berkeley, uh, You know, they can come from the most uh, democratic county in America and move here. They are Texans. Uh, and I don't think it's quite as simple as the influx of people affecting the political climate. It certainly has. I mean, there's no question if you have people moving in from heavily Democratic areas or if they're Democratic voting, it's going to affect the voting. But one thing that we've seen, I mean, Texas has had a huge influx really for 40 years. Uh, I mean, we started having, I mean, we've had an influx for, for a very long time, but it really kicked in heavily in the 1980s. And, you know, Texas actually was a Democratic state In the '80s, it was not until the mid '90s that Texas became overwhelmingly Republican, and we had had a lot of influx from from um, northern and midwestern and 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 Pacific states uh, before that. So, I think it's it is it's it's the demographic makeup, obviously a much larger larger Latino population, which is which is more Democratic. Uh, But I'll tell you what, Rory, I think one of the misconceptions and I think one of the miscalculations of the Democratic Party nationally and in Texas among Latinos specifically is that they will vote in lockstep for the Democratic Party. They have voted recently, certainly uh, uh, disproportionately Democratic, but not it's not 90 percent, 80 percent. And if you look at President Trump's approval ratings, I mean, he's in the 30s and 40s among Latinos in the United States, and that's in polling, which usually understates it. So, and and we see the same with with influx here in Texas. Our, if you look at what's happened with voting, the, the folks coming in here that move into Texas have been affected more than they have affected Texas. They they tend to become more conservative rather than Texas, more than they make Texas more liberal. Uh, I think the problem that we have in Texas with Republicans is not so much that Democrats are moving in or that there are, there's a growth in the Latino population. The problem we have in Texas can be said in two words, Republican Party. The problem in Texas is that we've had one party rule here for you know, 20, 25 years, and it's calcified. And you have Republicans in the House, in, in our House, our legislature here in Texas, that vote with the Democrats, that, you know, are that oppose charter schools, that, that you know, the, the speakers of the House who are nominally Republicans. But we talk about Republican in name only. We've had two speakers of the House that cede tremendous authority to Democrats, even though the Republicans have a huge majority. So – you know, it's, and, and then you have conservative Republicans who rest on their laurels, who think if they do TV commercials where they're driving in a pickup and carry a gun, that that's going to guarantee that they're going to be reelected. Well, we learned in, in the, the 2018 midterm, that's not what happens. We had a lieutenant governor, Dan Patrick, who, who I like, who's done a lot of great things, but he, he, he was complacent. He ran the same old pickup truck, I've got a gun campaign. And he he won with a with against a no a name opponent. He won with a very narrow margin. Uh, and as you know, as you alluded to, Beto he Beto nearly beat Ted Cruz, which is uh, you know stunning. Um, and makes me it wonder. It for, Greg, makes me it one, for Greg. It wasn't for Greg Abbott, our governor, wonder, like, very popular, and, and George quick, P. Bush would not have been good for the state.
1: Yeah, and Lee, I was just going to say real quick. Um, with that, with that election, it makes me wonder. You know, obviously there's a lot of liberals that have moved to Texas, but like I would also say, I think voter fraud probably contributed to Beto getting so far ahead because I just don't see, I, I just can't see it. I can't fathom how in Texas he could almost beat a guy like Ted Cruz, who's a pure Texan. I think, I think voter fraud and I think the people moving
6: in have stuff to do with it, really strongly. I think, that's the main I, I think it's a combination. But let me put it this way: that is a very soft conversion. If the Republicans have a clue, if the Republicans are aggressive and thoughtful, if they are a little more nuanced, if they, if they don't insult the intelligence of the voters by assuming that all you have to say is, I'm pro-Trump, I, I have a gun, I drive a pickup, um, if you don't assume that that's going to get you reelected, that you might actually have to push some, you know, thoughtful, interesting, innovative policies, that you actually have to communicate people and not, as I said, not insult their intelligence uh, the Republicans can do very well. And again, as I started to say, we have a very conservative governor, Greg Abbott. He won with a huge margin. George P. Bush won with a huge margin. In fact, next to Abbott, who's who ex- may well be the most popular governor in the United States, next to Greg Abbott, George P. Bush had the highest margin of any statewide uh, office that, or statewide uh, candidate that won in 2018. So you know they they were kind of the bookends of the top offices, Abbott and George P. Bush. They won with huge margins, but we had a couple of other statewide candidates and some down-ballot races that did not do well. And as you pointed out at the very top of the ballot, the U.S. Senate, we had Ted Cruz not only almost lose, but he lost Tarrant County, where I happen to live, which is where Fort Worth is, right next to Dallas County. Tarrant County is the largest predominantly Republican county in the United States. Uh, Fort Worth is the biggest city in the United States that is predominantly Republican, and yet Beto carried this county. I can guarantee you, Tarrant County is not a Democratic bastion. It's not going Democrat. It's not blue. That is a matter of the dynamics of the election. It's the dynamics of the aggressiveness of Beto O'Rourke. It's a matter of the kind of perception that he was quasi-Latino, which he's not, of course – um, it was Ted Cruz himself who had done a brilliant job six years before uh, winning his first election, and he was the insurgent candidate. I think he was too complacent. I think his presidential race uh, hurt him because he was seen—he was seen at best as a soft Trump supporter. So I think a lot of Republican right. voters were not energized by him because they saw him as not a real pro-Trump guy. So he had some unusual factors that impaired his his uh, re-election and his near loss.
1: Absolutely. And, and in all your years, have you, you've been working in politics a long time. I mean, I've seen you on Fox news. You're on Neil Cavuto. You've, you've been on all the different programs. You've read a lot of different op-eds for, for Fox and other big mainstream outlets. You, and you've been in politics a long time. You've never seen hostility or, or craziness to this level. Have you in DC in this whole impeachment circus?
6: Well, I haven't, but if you go back to through most of American history, that's actually more characteristic of how America has been uh, than what we've seen in recent years. You know, a lot of people uh, kind of downplay or don't even fully appreciate or even know that the political climate of the United States at the national level uh, was heavily influenced after World War II by the onset of the Cold War and the and the – Understanding that the one wrong move, one mistake, could lead to nuclear annihilation, so the entire country, uh, and the entire political class, Democrat and Republican, even though they certainly had vitriolic uh, exchanges and disagreements at times, it was tamped down a little bit because it was like you know we can't be too extreme, we can't be too hyperbolic, we can't be too uh, you know uh, sound bellicose. Because you never know how that might be interpreted or, or, you know, it might start a snowball going That could lead to a nuclear war So that really affected how people thought And how people acted You also had a media You had three TV networks That dominated, completely dominated Obviously the electronic uh, media realm uh, Those three networks were at the, you know At the uh, heel of the federal government Their, 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 their biggest some of their biggest assets were their TV stations, which were federally licensed. Those licenses could be pulled yeah. if they were opposed by community groups. So you had a, a, a you had laws which have now been taken off the books, thank God, that literally had the federal government controlling the content of what TV stations could say. I mean, there's still some of them on the books in terms of political speech, but it was they required equal time. Whatever that means. I mean, what if there are 10 positions on an issue? Are you going to give, you know, 10 percent to each side? So you were supposed to give equal time to basically two sides, you know, come up with a binary uh, two sides on every issue. And the TV station was literally obliged by law uh, to, you know, balance its coverage. So you had the sanitization of media. Uh, this 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 yoke on the on on the television side of media, which of course became dominant in the 1960s, uh, and so that kept a lot of these sharp edges off of political discourse. So we really had an anomaly in our country from the early 1950s until the early 1980s. We had like a 30-year period where, it, even though the country nearly came apart in the 1960s, you know, from the civil rights movement. Vietnam, Watergate in the early 70s. Um, e- even with that, um, the, a lot of the um, elements that might have caused even more discord were suppressed. Um, and so
0: that,
6: that's what we're really seeing now is a a, ret- a return to American tradition, which is very tough, very brutal campaigning, very uh, brutal uh, things said about one candidate, about another. That's really been most of our history. Now, I will also say, I don't think that's what most Americans want. You know, I think most Americans want the political parties to be kind of like Apple and Microsoft, you know, where they're frenemies, yeah. you know, where, you know, they, right. they argue about their benefits and you've got your Apple people, you've got your Microsoft people, but, you know, the, you know, the companies work together, they have applications that work on each other's platforms, uh, but, you know, they certainly... You have acolytes that just hate Microsoft, and you have Microsoft people that hate Apple, but but they function in an ecosystem. They fight. They think they both say that they're better. They both are constantly vying. You know, iPhone dominates on the phones, and Microsoft wants to dominate on desktops and you know move heavily into the cloud and all of that. I think that's kind of what the American people want in the political world. I don't want everybody to agree all the time. Uh, My personal belief is. I don't believe in compromise. I believe in negotiation. If I can win 90-10, by God, I'm going to do it. If I can win 70-30, I'm going to do it. If I have to go with 50-50, if it's important enough, I might go 50-50. I don't believe in – you don't go in thinking I'm going to compromise. You go in thinking I'm going to negotiate as hard as hell, as tough as hell, and get the most that I can. But at the end of the day, I am going to negotiate. And we have a situation now in Washington, which you alluded to. People aren't negotiating, and I don't think the Republicans like it any more than the, than the Democratic voters. Um, and in fact, I think most Trump voters. I was speaking to somebody over the holidays who's a very conservative, ex-military. Uh, he was a, with a uh, military contractor before he retired, and very you know Trump supporter. And he told me he said, "Lee, I really think the Republicans and Trump ought to work more with the Democrats." And and I've heard right. that a lot. You'll hear that at people at Trump rallies when they're interviewed. Uh, and it's not that yeah. they wanna they don't wanna sell out. And I think and the, the two most dangerous words in the political lexicon are slippery yeah. slope. Everything is a slippery right. slope. You know, if you have a if you have a log in shoplifting, pretty soon you're gonna you know, not allow people to buy anything at a store. Uh, you know, it 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 it's you you, that's the whole idea of our system that's what our founding fathers put in place is yeah you can make laws you can make policies that affect only things to a degree you don't everything does not have to go to the logical extreme you know and we and that's why you have due process that's why you have a a separation of powers so that you can make laws make government policy, but you don't have to go to wild extremes and it doesn't it, just because you move in one direction a little bit, there is no law that says the water has to keep running downhill. It just means, hey, we're right. addressing a problem. We're going to stop here. Uh, we're not. That doesn't mean we're going to go all the way. You know, just because the U.S. has the Tennessee Valley Authority doesn't mean that they're going to nationalize all the utilities. Um, so, Absolutely. So you know, uh, so that's that's yeah. you know, I think a big problem is that people don't think they don't look hey. at policies. They look. just they just look at labels and if one if right. Rachel Maddow hey, says Lee, something it's insane or it's Leah, brilliant it's Leah, depending do, on the value, got, same with Sean Hannity.
1: Hey hey Lee Lee I do got, I do I could talk to you all day all amazing points I, unfortunately I do have to I have to move on to the next guest but we'll get you back on very soon uh, tell everybody where they can connect with you all that good stuff.
6: Well, at Speakerman on Twitter, and it's phonetically correct, but not spelled the way you think. It's S-P as in Peter, I-E-C-K-E-R-M-A-N, 11 letters. At Speakerman on Twitter, the easiest way to connect with me. I'd love to have your listeners follow, and it's been an honor to join you, and I look forward to our next conversation.
1: Absolutely, Lee. Uh, Amazing points, great insight. Uh, I love talking to you. We'll, We'll definitely get you back soon.
6: Thank you, Rory. All
1: righty. God bless. Talk to you soon. Um, I want to welcome to the show, I believe he's, I want to make sure, give me one second, make sure he is with us. Let's see here. I want, I'm making sure. We have veteran, military expert, and best-selling author, Jason Van Camp. Jason, how are you? Welcome.
8: Yes, yeah, Rory. How you doing, buddy? Great to be on the show. Do- doing great.
1: Absolutely. Your first time on. Tell everybody a little bit about yourself.
8: Yeah, yeah. No worries about that. So, I'm originally from Virginia. i was a West Point graduate. I played Army football while I was there. So, the two-year um, Church of Jesus Christ Larry Latter-day Saint Mormon mission to St. Petersburg, Russia. And then I joined the military. When I joined the military, I became a Ranger and then a Green Beret. I deployed numerous times to the Middle East, a few times to Africa and Korea, and I retired in 2015. And now I have a for-profit company called Mission 60, And we recently wrote a book called Deliberate Discomfort, How United States Special Operations Forces Overcome Fear and Dare to Win by Getting Comfortable Being Uncomfortable. And I have a nonprofit as well called Warrior Rising, and we help veterans in the most charitable way we know how. We help them help themselves, and we do that by teaching them, mentoring them, and financially assisting them in their business endeavors.
1: I love it. I love it, man. First of all, thank you for your service. Um, and and well, tell us, tell so us a little bit about this book. Tell, tell us, obviously, it's you know different things you've experienced, and I read your story. It's very inspiring and um you know, a green beret. I mean,
8: you've done a lot of amazing things. Yeah. Well, I appreciate that, man. We're really proud of the book. You know, I'm very odd of myself and I'm I'm very proud of this book and the reviews are coming in and they're excellent. I'm really excited about the reviews that we're receiving testimonials, endorsements. So like I said, the book is called deliberate discomfort and it's about getting comfortable, being uncomfortable, right? It's a leadership book for businesses. It's a self-improvement book for individuals And I thought, you know, to be the best, you got to learn from the best. And who better than the United States Special Operations Forces? Green Berets, Navy SEALs, Delta Force guys, Rangers, Marines, you know. I call those guys heroes because, in my opinion, heroes don't get a vote. You know what I mean? And the book is about my journey as a Green Beret. Recently earned my Green Beret going to my company commander, my boss, for the first time. And him telling me, Jason, in order for you to succeed, there are certain lessons that you need to learn, you know, and I can't teach you all of them. I need you to talk to these people in our organization and get a feel of who they are, what motivates them, why they've been successful in combat and in their lives. And once you've you've talked with all these individuals, I need you to come back and talk to me. And so each chapter in the book follows my experiences talking with a different person. And I got to tell you, Rory, these people are unbelievable. I've got two Medal of Honor recipients, Flo Groberg, who tackled a suicide bomber, Leroy Petrie, who, in a fight with the Taliban, was shot through both legs twice. A grenade was thrown in his trench. He picked up the grenade, threw it out of the trench, blew his arm off. He took a tourniquet off of his body armor, stopped the bleeding on his right arm, shifted his rifle from his right arm to his left arm, continued fighting, took down the Taliban, and then got his guys to safety who were injured by the uh, the grenade. And then we've got a guy who was a Navy SEAL, a Green Beret, and an Army Ranger. He did all three, man. This guy's got a Ph.D. in embracing the suck. His name's Steve Mueller. I've got Joey Jones, who's now on Fox News, a Marine double amputee. You know, I've got Joe Cerna, who was a Green Beret, who had his RG-31 vehicle flipped over in an aqueduct in, in Afghanistan, and everybody in his vehicle died except for him. And he, you can't see uh, experiences and they all do. And so I'm very excited about it. We've got unbelievable experiences, unbelievable stories, unbelievable leadership lessons. I love it.
1: I love it, man. I, I love what you're doing. You know, I love how you're, you know, getting all this information out there and shining light and, you know, it, it's, it really is a, a wonderful thing. And, you know, tell us, tell us about your experience over there and that you've probably seen everything. I mean, it's, it's, it's quite, quite the scene, right?
8: It can be pretty crazy. You know, I kicked off my um, experiences in the Middle East with the initial invasion of Iraq in 2003. And uh, we drove all the way up from Kuwait to Mosul. I was with the 101st Airborne Division at the time. Um, And then I returned to Iraq as a detachment commander. And I was uh, northeast of of Baghdad on the Iranian border. And uh, that was a really rough deployment. You know, four of the guys on my team got Purple Hearts. Uh, four were medevaced out of country for injuries, and one was killed, you know, on a 12-man team, uh, Green Berets. And uh, we did quite a lot of um, counter-insurgency during that time. We we cleaned up that area quite a bit, liberated a lot of towns, really proud of what we did there. And then third deployment, we were down south uh, in Nazaria, and that was kind of more of the Jay Shalmati, uh led militias and, and, you know, kind of, Continuing the unconventional warfare theme Down there in the south uh, Been to Mali, Africa as well You know, we've seen the Al-Qaeda and the land of Maghreb Thank you, I am there And they would ride horseback You know, down across the Sahara Desert And they would terrorize towns And villages And take kids hostage And kill, you know, men and women You know, and uh, I've also been in Korea Right on the North Korean border as well So I've seen a lot uh, Been to a lot of places And um, what I've learned is I'm very selfish about being selfless, meaning life isn't about trophies. It's about people, you know, and I want to help people. And that's what I'm all about.
1: I love it. I love it. And so, so let me ask you this. What do you make of this whole Iran situation? I mean, you've actually lived, you know, you've lived it. You know exactly what it's like, you know you know exactly how it all goes down you know exactly how it transpires you know i i think it was great that we took out that guy but my only worry and concern and i and i believe trump has a plan but the end game i think that's always the key when getting into these uh nasty situations
8: yeah so your question is what's the end game you think
1: yeah and i'm just asking your overall thoughts i mean i i I really i think it was great what trump did taking this the Soleimani out, taking that corrupt leader out. But at the same time, my only concern is an end game. Like what's going to be the end game? I do believe they have a plan, but plans can backfire, you know?
8: Yeah, I've been trying to think this through in my mind as well. I think my first reaction to this whole experience, uh, whole situation was surprise. You know, I was was just surprised that Trump did this, you know, Um, because, we're used to in the United States, a certain type of political rhetoric and a certain type of political, uh, atmosphere and taking action, you know, bold action really isn't something we're accustomed to. And Trump not only, you know, talks the talk, but you know, you got to hand to the guy, whether you like him or you don't, the guy walks the walk. He means what he says. And that's kind of a, a motto of the green Berets as, as well. Like staff Sergeant Barry Sadler said in the battle of the green Berets, or, or men who mean just what they say. And, uh, and partly, I was feeling very proud and very patriotic that we, we were able to do this because this guy, so many, he, he killed hundreds, thousands of, of U.S. troops. He was a mastermind behind Cuds, you know. And at the same time, I'm thinking to myself, well, what's next? Do we have, a, you know, do we have a, a plan after we did this? I mean, Iran is now saying that they're going to. Attack us and get revenge on us, and Trump said we'll destroy 52 of your cultural sites. Okay, well you got to think Iran is going to do something, or at least claim responsibility for something. And, and in that case, is Trump going to destroy those 52 sites? And then if he does that, then is it is it World War Three? Are we going to war? I don't know. It's very confusing. It's actually scary to think about. Um, you know, for terror, it's terrible. Um, it's, it's crazy to think about, like, what could potentially happen. Um, but, you know, I, I trust in the United States, and I trust in our leadership, and I trust in our military. And I know we can get any job done that needs to be done.
1: Absolutely. Very, very well said. Um, Jason, I, you know, I could, I could talk to you all day. I uh, definitely want to get you back on the show very soon. But tell everybody where they can find your book, connect with you, all that good stuff.
8: Yeah, thanks, Rory. That's what we're here to discuss, really, is, is Deliberate Discomfort. You can find the book on Amazon right now or wherever books are sold. And uh, it's in pre-sales right now. And the book will officially launch on February 18, 2020. And it's all about, you know, what people don't understand is discomfort. Deliberate Discomfort is not a negative thing. It's a positive thing. It's a growth mindset. And what we're trying to do at Mission 60, 0 my for-profit company, is start a Deliberate Discomfort revolution. Because guess what, brother? We find comfort among those who agree with us, but growth among those who don't, man. And only it's when we endure this discomfort that we find solutions. And that's what we're all about. I appreciate the opportunity to be on your show.
1: Absolutely, my friend. Jason, let's let's definitely talk soon. Uh, I loved having you on. Uh, You've been a great guest, man. Thank you for putting so much things into perspective. Great insight.
8: Absolutely. Thanks. Take care.
1: All righty. Um, I also would like to. I want to welcome to the show. I believe he's with us. I want to make sure we have North, we have law enforcement expert and North Carolina Senate candidate Rick Paget. Rick, how are you?
7: I'm doing great. How about you?
1: Doing very well, Rick. Welcome to the show. Tell us a little bit about yourself.
7: Okay, I'm uh, yeah, I'm retired law enforcement here in North Carolina, actually Durham County Sheriff's Office. So um, I started out working in jail, worked my way all the way up to internal affairs. Did uh, two stints in two internal affairs and training and end up uh, retiring as the assistant to the sheriff as a captain. Uh, I held the captain's slot from probably about 2009 until 2014 when I got ready to retire. Um, I was a Democrat because our sheriff here, most of them are Democrats, and you won't work for our sheriff here as a Republican um, because they're Democrats. They take that appointment of the party very seriously you can't vote for them, um, they don't need you. So uh, and typically they make you live in the same county. A few few sheriffs don't, but majority of them still do. So it's a unique experience. But uh, one of the things I wanted to talk about is, is you talked about Republicans. You know, when I retired, the year before I retired, I was, well, two years before I retired, I was appointed to the planning commission. And I was appointed to that committee planning commission by Democrats. But after two years sitting on commission, I changed my party affiliation to a Republican. And um, that kind of caught everybody off guard, but I knew I was at a, re- a retirement stage. So I wanted to do the first thing that I always wanted to do was be a Republican, not a Democrat. So that was the first thing I did and, and, and ran with it. Well, one of the things that I did when I was in the schools is I, I was in charge of all the schools in the Durham County system. One of the biggest problems we had, we had more guns, more drugs, and you name it, we had it in there. And we really, when I got promoted to that position to take care of that, one thing the sheriff said was go in and get them out of there. Unfortunately, the swamp existed back then and it existed in our public school system. I went in with a team of officers and we were going from school to school to school, five area high schools, and we were pulling out guns, drugs. Everything you can imagine. Every day, it was hit in the newspaper. It went like it went. It was a fire for six months, and before it was over with, I had the, the school system in the sheriff's office complaining that I was intentionally trying to make them look bad. I had the uh, most of the community. Uh, the when you chamber of commerce were upset because they felt that I was making their, the price of their housing decline because of the school systems, because of the drug, drugs and the guns. And we were pulling out loaded clips, nine millimeter, 40 millimeters. We were pulling out firearms that that shouldn't even be in the schools, but the principals and the superintendent were more worried about what it looked like. We later found out, or I later found out, that the superintendent at the time was uh, promising and appointed a position into the Obama administration Providing he could show that the school systems were reducing the crime and the dropout rate, so that was work behind the scenes, of course, unbeknownst to law enforcement. But when you talk about the things behind the scenes, the average public they need to really start looking in their public school systems, because I guarantee you it wasn't the only public school system in the state or in the United States that does these kind of things. And then they want to complain about when 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 there's violence or things that. Uh, you know, they want to blame everything on the gun. Well, just like anybody says. What stops a bad guy with a gun is a good guy with a gun. You know, we're not going to sit back and, and let somebody take somebody out. But when you when you look at what's going on, the schools do that underhandedly, um, whether they want to call it out or not. you got to take them out of schools if you want your children to be safe. You know, and, and how many people right. have grandchildren? You know, it, it, it's sad. It, it's sad. So you know, everything from that, when you look at the guns, you also got to look at the mental health. These folks yep. that, that have mental health issues, you can't say the gun is the problem. It's the person holding the gun. I always tell the story. Right. Say, guns, say, yeah, well, guns
1: don't kill people by themselves. It's the person that gets their hands right. on it that does the killing.
7: Exactly. I I, I posted something one time on Facebook. I said, yeah, here I was. I was sitting in my house. I looked at my 45 and said, come on, it's time to go to bed. I started upstairs. I looked back, it refused to move. Finally, I fussed with it long enough, and it still ignored me. I finally had to take that stubborn piece of metal straight up and put it upstairs with me because it just wouldn't move. Can anybody tell me how to make this this gun move on its own? You know, and I was proving a point. It's the person with the gun, not the gun that sits there. You, a gun has never ever fired just sitting there by itself, you know, so we have to look at the mental state of mind of people who possess guns. you know those are the problems, and you know sometimes people you know they're worried about the mental health you know we, what if somebody doesn't have a mental problem and you take their guns and things like that and that's a valid argument because you don't want to use it as a tool or a weapon in a situation to punish somebody you're just mad at. So there have to be things in place, but in the same sense we can't arbitrarily just hand out guns to people who have mental conditions. You know, it's just that, so you, you have to come up with that, that, that balance and what is that balance? That's putting people to the table and you, you gotta have input from everybody. You know, people make laws right. but they never look at the people that are affected by the law and they don't include those people when it comes time to make those laws. So they right. sit back and they dictate law. They dictate these laws. And that's right. the biggest issue, thing we do. So I mean, it's it's slippery slope. And here in Durham, North Carolina, our biggest problem is special interest. This right. we have. You name every group that you can imagine, whether it's Antifa, whether it's the Communist Party, whether it's the, the um, you know People's Alliance here in Durham. I mean, it doesn't really matter. They all have they ain't deals, and I know this because when I ran for office before, they all brought me into this big room. And all these groups met, and they started wanting to trade, trade our endorsements like they were playing cards, wanting to know if if I did this, will I support that? Well, to me, that's not an
2: close.
1: Yeah. Right.
7: That, that And I'm seeing. That's dirty.
1: And I'm also, I'm also. Hey Rick, I'm also seeing. Um, there was a report out recently that North Carolina is letting illegals vote. Uh, that's a big thing with in this upcoming election, and I know. That was, It was all over, all over uh, the headlines, I think, like last week. Can you speak on that? you know much yeah. about that?
7: Yeah, yeah, there's a lot of it. We've got a lot of people that are checking the rolls right now, and I have been watching yeah. a lot of this. And we're talking about hundreds and uh, hundreds of people that are reporting that people on the rolls that didn't need to be there, that have been on there. I walked up there um, two years ago. I um, was in uh, 2016 also, and 2014 to vote. And when I walked up in there, they, both times they told me, hey, you already voted I said, what do you mean I've already voted? Well, you voted downtown No, I haven't voted downtown I had to, had to fill out an affidavit Saying I did not vote And and then I got the chance to vote But somebody already voted for me twice You know, so I was hit with that And when I brought it to their attention I had just fill out this affidavit Well, that doesn't solve the problem The problem is, is What they're doing with the voter ID is they're suppressing the working class votes. They're they're suppressing the middle class vote when they do that. Because what they're doing yeah. is raising up one end and lowering the other standard. And they're not they're they're not making the what they're doing is is it's just like this. You're not balancing the scales. You're lifting the scales to be so uneven to the other side. So you know it makes it ridiculous. We have a voter ID law. Yet we have these organizations that stand up and moan and groan and bellyache about it's not fair. What in the heck is not fair about showing an I.D.? You have to have an I.D. to go to your bank. You have to have an I.D. Yeah. to do so many things in life. ID and to now you got a yeah, ID, to, I.D. to do everything. Yeah. And And this is a constitutional – this is a constitutional issue. So if you don't have to have an I.D. for something that's a constitutional right – what the heck do yeah. you need an ID
1: for? It, Rick, it really, Rick, it really is ridiculous. Um, it's crazy. Uh, like the most important election of our lifetime is coming up, and we have to. Okay. I think, I think Trump, Trump needs to put legislation into place. Otherwise, we're not going to be protected. <laughs> I mean, I, I, still think he's going to win by an overwhelming majority. I but those illegal I alien or those illegal, ever voting. Uh, with voter fraud, it, it's helping the Democrats. I mean, it gives them a little oh. extra bit, but Rick, sit, Rick, stay with us. Um, I do got to get right. to other people on the panel. Stay with us, though. Uh, I want to get to... Right. Let's go to... Um, I'll go to Mike Peters in New York. Mike Peters, go ahead.
5: Hi, Rory. Um, there are a couple of things I want to bring. First off, great show, but one thing I wanted to cover quick before the show ends. This, uh, this excuse that the prime minister in Iraq gave before Parliament uh, did you did you track that did you did you see what he uh, said to start off is before they did the vote I believe he, he gave it to them before they voted uh, that the American troops should leave the Prime Minister told them that that general was invited to Iraq to participate to discuss ways to de-escalate the issues between the Iranians and the Saudis and that he had a meeting scheduled with that general. Do you remember that? That article came out and everything, and they were talking about it, and it inflamed everybody. was like, oh, my God, those Americans. Then this was a political hit. It was an assassination that this was a trick. They invited it, and I said, wait a minute. Something doesn't add up here. They invite at the height of tensions, at the height of everything going on and everything, and the accusations were pointing at the general regarding the American embassy. The issues and everything were between America and the Iranians. Saudis weren't involved with this. Well, right. all of a sudden, uh, now all of a sudden, and then I stopped and I looked at it further and I said, "Wait a minute, let me do some research." In 2017, they had, they had, uh, there was uh, an article in the New York Times where the Saudis were looking into ways to assassinate that guy because he yeah. was the one that was behind a plot where they tried to hire a drug cartel, which turned out to be American uh, law enforcement, FBI or something, to uh, attack and to kill a Saudi representative or, or Sheikh or Prince or something over here in the U.S. And the plan was foiled, but it was that general that was behind it. The Saudis hate this guy. Do you really think... I got into it with a liberal in town. Do you think that the Saudis would be involved with any type of de-escalation talks with that son of a bitch? No! There's no way. So this is a lie. The Iranians were setting that up and they told that prime minister, this is what you're going to say to cover it. When I mean, this whole thing was... And plus... If he was really invited by the Iraqi government, don't you think protocols would say that some representative from the Iraqi government would meet him on the tarmac? Not a terrorist in charge of a militia. There would have been a police right. escort and a representative from the government. So this is nothing but – and the only people that are buying it and clinging on to it are the anti-Trump. I agree. It. I so
8: agree.
5: It's very simple to look at this. I sent you the link for the article and, and through uh, Facebook Messenger. I mean it's hysterical when you sit back and look at it and say, Does it make sense? No, it doesn't, and it's a lie. And he was caught. So I on one on one message board, on one uh I think it was the Dan Collin board, I wrote and I put this, I I lined it out, I outlined it for everybody, and one of the diehard anti-Trumpers came in and said, So you're accusing the Prime Minister of Iraq of lying? Are you serious? What? It, it, people, it, yeah, it's people exactly. like cult it,
1: yeah. Oh, I know. Oh, I know. The liberal logic is ridiculous. It really is. It's, it's ridiculous. It's unreal. Mike, Mike Peters, thank you. Thank you so much, Mike. Always very well said. All
5: right. Thanks.
1: Uh, let, let's go to T- Tim. I'll, I'll go to you. Uh, tell everybody where they can find you, connect with you, all that good stuff.
2: Sure thing. Yeah, you can find me at timfazenbaker.com. That's F-A-Z-E-N-B-A-K-E-R, 10 letters. And uh, you can also find me at America One Tim Faye's on Twitter, and of course on Facebook. You can find me at and Baker for Congress. As always, uh, great show, and uh, we need more volunteers and more people to for this fight. We are in a uh, potential flip seat to take back our house, and as always, American kids first.
1: Absolutely, Tim. Always a pleasure. Uh, thank you so much. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you. Um, let's go, Todd. Tell
3: everybody where they can connect with you. Go ahead. Yeah, Rory on Twitter, it's at Todd for House. That's T O D D number four H O U S E. You know, Twitter keeps taking a lot of the followers there. Um, great show. I hope you'll your your listeners will help me uh, re- regain some followers. You know, I've lost about a thousand or so followers over the past uh, several weeks because uh, I've been tweeting out a lot of pro Trump and uh, you know anti leftist stuff. And every time I do, it seems like I, I gain like 10, 10 followers and then lose like 20. Uh, and anyway, yeah, you can follow me there. Also, the website is toddperhouse.com. T-O-D-D, number four, H-O-U-S-E.com. Uh, if you like what you see, um, you know, check it out. And also, uh, you can donate on there. Uh, and that, that's going to help me as we move forward and make the official announcement uh, w- with regards to running or, you know, whether or not we don't run, you know. So, but – uh, looking forward to whatever comes up over the next, uh, several weeks. And, uh, you know, at the end of the day, it's going to be in God's hands and, uh, we'll go from there.
1: All righty. God bless God. Always a pleasure. Thank you, my friend.
3: Yes, yes sir. Take care.
1: Um, let's go to Michael Valsey. Go ahead.
4: Great show tonight, Roy. Thanks for having me. I wanted to make a quick point. Uh, you know, you mentioned those fires and, uh, Remember one thing, they're they're looking into these fires for two reasons. One, it allows them to push their climate change agenda. And two, think about all the federal funds that go into these states. The same thing happens in these other countries. They're making a lot of money off the federal government. So just a couple of points. If you saw that Nunes spot, uh, Devin Nunes, he did that spot. He wished everybody a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. He says no more fake fires, and he said this is a fake fire behind me he was standing in front of, front of a fireplace. I think some, there's some people in Congress that are onto this scheme. So with that, thanks for having me again, Roy. You can find me on Twitter at Michael Volsey, V is in Victor, A-L-S-I, and we're all fighting the shadow ban, so come on over. Thanks again.
1: Absolute,
0: absolutely, my friend. Always a pleasure. Thank you.
1: Hey Rick, real quick, I do got to close out. Tell okay. everybody where they can connect with you on Twitter and get involved.
7: You give me at, at Rick Paget, NC, and you can also give me at www.rickforncsenate.com. And uh, yeah, anything you can do, check out the website. Let me know what you think. Hit a button, it'll send you right to my phone. Um, you only have to dial the number. It'll call directly to me, and I'll answer. it. Um, and also, just Perfect. check out the donation page because we're in a battle here. Um, we're facing the liberals like you've never seen anywhere. Uh, this is where they tore down Perfect. the statues and everything else. So No, I know. I know,
1: Rick. It's getting, I know. It's it, it's getting crazy in North Carolina. I want to get you back soon. I really appreciate it, my
7: friend, and we'll all talk great. to you. And thanks to all my friends. Oh. Uh,
1: everybody, uh, it's been quite the show tonight. Another episode. Um, I'm so blessed for all of you. Uh, I will see you all on Thursday. Uh, I'm Rory Sodder. Mega, mega, mega. God bless everybody. Much love. Cheers.